Welcome back to Verse by Verse. I'm your host, Cody Balch, Better Equipped, and we are going to finish up Ephesians chapter 1 today. We're going to start in verse 15 and go to the end of the chapter, verse 23. And the heading might say, you know, thanksgiving and prayer, which is totally true. Um, but really what it's going to get into today is God's value for his people, the church, and the power that they have because of Christ and what he's done and just how important the people of God, the saints, the the church, those are all synonyms there, are to God and how that should be for us. And we see this expressed by Paul's love for God's people. People that are, you know, hundreds of miles away from where Paul is, is in prison in Rome under house arrest. And Paul is just welling up with love and prayers and thanksgiving for these people, some that he's met and some that he hasn't because of their faith and their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that's really important for us when we think about our, our love and faith, you know, when we think about our love towards the people of God, I think, uh, is that how you would be described is man, you're just well up with thanksgiving and, and praise and prayers for God's people, man, like, Maybe there, maybe there's some things that need to shift inside of you. Um, so let, let's jump right in. We're going to start in verse 15. And, and he says, kind of in, in reference to what all he's laid out before this, before verse 15, talking about how God has chosen us and saved us through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, that he paid for sin through his blood and his body on the cross and, and just how amazing that is that we get the Holy Spirit to guarantee our inheritance of salvation. Um, he says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Okay, he just like he's like, I'm hearing reports of all of your love for all of God's people. You're getting it. You get it. Like, this is such a big deal. Like, love God and love others. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbors yourself is, like, incredibly paramount to what it means to follow Jesus. Because, in fact, we saw him love us first all the way to the point of death on the cross, even loving people who didn't love him back, loving people who were just fully living in their sin, not having a heart towards God, and he still died for them. Okay, they have to receive that gift, but but he still paid the price for their sins. And I think that's like really significant in the way that we should love others. And he says, man, I hear these reports of, of the saints, the people of God in Ephesus, who are loving all of God's people. And he says in verse 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. What's your prayer life like? I mean, for Paul, this was just like breathing. I mean, it's like, how, how, how else do you, you live life where you're not talking to God, continually praying, and not just asking him for things for yourself, but, but thinking of other people, praising and thanking God for the people he's put in your life, thinking and praising God for what he's done for your life, thinking and, and praising God for all the ways he's provided and, and answered your prayers. And 
and just what he's done in salvation and who he is and what he's promised us. There's just, there's, for Paul, it's like, oh, I just well up with that, that kind of attitude, even while I sit here in prison. By the way, why is he in prison? For sharing the hope of Jesus, for sharing the gospel. Like, that's why he's in prison. And he's like, no, 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 no. My hope is anchored in something far better than this life. And uh, what God has given me, no one can take away. And, and, and I just, I'm praying to God continually. But he's specifically praying for, for the people in Ephesus. These, and, he, and we see this in his other letters too. He's not just praying for the people in Ephesus, but he sure is praying for them. And it says in verse 17, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I'm so proud of you for, for listening in on this, for whether you're watching or listening, um, because you're showing a desire to want to know God better. You know, in verse by verse, this is what we're doing. We're trying to know God better. Who is he? What's his heart all about? What does he think about us? What should we think about him? What should we think about others? What should we think about this world? What should we think about life after this world? I mean, you want to know him better. And that's what he says. I'm praying for a spirit, that God's spirit of wisdom and revelation. In the book of James, it says that, that if you want wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously, as long as you don't ask with doubting, as long as you don't ask and, and kind of be double-minded and, and thinking he can't do it or he won't do it. But I think I would encourage you to be asking God, God, give me wisdom that's beyond my wisdom. Give me, give me revelation that is, is not from my own imagination, that's not from my own thoughts. Give me an understanding that is divine. Give me an understanding that is um, truly from God and not from myself. Not from even my own natural abilities. There's something much, much deeper and better that only God can give. And this is the kind of wisdom and revelation that went, but for the sake of knowing God better. Is that the pursuit of your life, is to know God more deeply? I think if you, if you go on that quest, if you make that the aim of your life, it will be the, the right lead measure that will produce in you the fruit of God in the other areas of life. Because as you know God more, you know him better, then it will, it will lead you to know how to love other people and impact people around you better. He's, he picks up in verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. He says, I, I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. It's like, it's like, you know, new agey spirituality, which is not what I subscribe to, but it's, it's this enlightenment. It's, ah, oh, I, get it now. And I see it clearly. That's what he's talking about though. It's just not new agey. He's saying this comes through the wisdom of the spirit of God living inside of you that you may know God more. It, the quest is not to know ourselves more deeply. That's not our primary quest. You'll get to know yourself more in time. Uh, but especially as you know scripture, you know God more, it will enlighten, it will shine light into your heart and mind and you will be able 
to to be able to more adequately um, understand the the things of God. But but what he says here, we need to take really really um, to you know take note of this and take this really seriously. He says the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. This is what God says his inheritance is, is his holy people. He says that that we are his inheritance. Like this is his prize, his reward. And it's not that God needs to do anything to deserve reward, but (laughs) that's not the point. The point is that he's saying like you and I are like the top of his wish list, the top of his desires. God could have anything he wants, but he doesn't make us love him. But he, what he's so excited to do is spend all of eternity with those who say, God, I love you too. I, I'm so grateful for who you are and what you've done. And God, thank you. Those are the people that he says, those are my inheritance. Like, I, I pray that, that the spirit of God of God opens your eyes, enlightens your heart, the eyes of your heart, to know the riches that He has in you. That that you'll that you'll open that you'll open the eyes of your heart to know just how valuable you are to Him. And He proved it on the cross. My goodness, like He's like, what more do I need to do? I created you, and then I paid for your life by dying on the cross because I paid for your sins through my perfect life. It's like, man, this is this is seriously big stuff. In verse 19, he continues after he says, in his holy people, he says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's pretty cool. That power, what kind of power are we talking about? That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. He says like the the power that God's holy people have access to is the same power as as the power he exerted when he raised Jesus Christ from the grave, from the dead. Do we live that way? Let's be honest here, okay? Do we really live as though we have that kind of power? And it's not like to to use for our own advantage, for our own glory, for our own purposes. But but when it comes to accomplishing the will of God, which oftentimes does seem way out of our league, God-sized, um, sharing your faith with people and praying that they'll that God will open their heart, it's God's power. And so, but what he says is, I, listen, I know how to open the hearts of people who are dead, who are blind. Just like I opened your eyes and enlightened your eyes and, and made your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. I can do that for others. So let's not forget that the God who raised the dead can also exert that power in your life. That's pretty cool. But do you live that way? Do you really live that way? And verse 21, he continues and says that... that he seated Christ in the heavenly realms up far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. He says, Jesus isn't just like a really cool human. He is far above it. He is Lord over all. He's going to specify that in the next verse. But 
that he's Lord and head over everything and, and God has exalted him into his rightful place. He had to lower himself to become death for us, but he is seated back on the throne where he belongs, even though on an earthly sense, it looked like he was powerless, right? He didn't fight against the authorities. He was killed a criminal's death, but he didn't stay there. He, he humbled himself to accomplish the will that he had to save his people, but, but he is back on his throne. And God never really left his throne because God, the father, so the fullness of God, God, there's one God, but he uh, expressly shows himself in three distinct forms. God, the father, God, the son, and God, the Holy Spirit. And it's kind of like, I have, uh, I am one person. I am Cody, but I have my head, which is distinctly different than my hands, which is distinctly different than my legs. But that's all Cody. My hands are no less Cody than my head. But my head has a very different function. So it is with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's all one being, God, only one God. But there are different ways that God God interacts with us in order to live out his fullness. God is much bigger than us. He can be in more than one place at one, at one time. I'm only able to be in one place at one time, but God is not. And so God lowered himself, became death for us, became the example for us, and then was uh, fully exalted back to his rightful throne. And, and so he did that. Now we get to verse 22, and he says this. And I love 22 and 23, just, man, one of my faves um, when I think about uh, the church and God's people. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Like, Jesus is the head over the church. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Uh, let's just figure out how important this is. How, how, how much can the, my body do if I lop off my head? Okay, nothing, right? So like, I can do nothing. I am dead. So the church is without Jesus rightfully being in the headship and lordship over the church. Okay, and that's his rightful place. And if we decide to play church in any way without really living as though Jesus is the head of the church, the body of Christ, then we are way off. And then again, he calls the church, his people, the body, his body here on earth. In fact, he goes so far to say as it's the fullness of Jesus the church is the fullness of Jesus who fills everything in every way. We're, I mean, we're messy, right? We're messed up. We're messy. We, we, we're sinful. We get it wrong. We're not all wise. We are not all powerful in ourselves. But he says, because of what Christ has done and his headship over the body and his spirit that lives inside his people, we get to be the fullness of Christ to the world around us. What? That's, that's amazing. And, and I, I just want to ask you, like, is that the way you think of your life? 
Have you have you chalked church up to a service on Sundays at some building? Like that is never the way, ever. Like my goodness, it is never the way that scripture, that the apostles or Jesus talk about the church. Never. Have you relegated it to this 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 tiny fraction of either even once a week, maybe at most, or maybe a few times a month? Is, is that the way that, that Jesus saw the church? He says, no, this is my glorious inheritance in, in, in my people. I mean, and, and Jesus is head over the church and it's actually the body of Christ. The church is the fullness of me in this world. My hands, my feet, my mouthpiece. Do we treat it that way? Do you treat your life? Because don't, don't just think about like, well, does my church? Do? No, you, like you are the body of Christ. You're not all of it but you're a part of it and you got to start with you. Don't, don't, don't just blame it on pastors and, and church leaders necessarily, although that's a different video, but like you got to take responsibility for your part in the body and saying, am I, am, am I knowing God more? Are the eyes of my heart being enlightened in a way that I know God more and I can better represent him being the fullness of Jesus to the world? around me, the people that God has put in my life. That should be a driving factor for us as the body of Christ, the people of God. And so as we wrap chapter one up, I just want you to think about what what God sees you as is so valuable. So much so that he, he, he chose you, he died for you, he gave you the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And then he says, you're my ambassadors. You're my representatives. Kind of this 2 Corinthians chapter 5 language. That you're my ambassadors to the world. You are my, my body, my representatives to the world around you. And I pray that you'll step up into that calling to be as sons and daughters of the Most High King, the King of Kings. What, what, a, what a privilege that is. And so, man, I I hope that you're excited to jump into chapter two of Ephesians. I hope that chapter one has just been a blessing with you. It has been a blessing. You share this with others. Invite them on the journey through Ephesians and, and, and help them to journey along. And let's go verse by verse together in the word of God, because it's in the word of God that we get the truth of God that we he's he's literally written it down so that we don't have to guess what God thinks and who he is we get to know it and we need to know it for ourselves we need to take personal responsibility to really say I know God for myself I'm not just taking Cody's word for it I'm getting into scripture for myself so I'm proud of you I'm excited that you're journeying with us and let's uh let's jump into chapter two soon Mm -hmm.